Today's program is brought to you by Firesider, a health tonic based on the traditional New England cure-all of raw apple cider vinegar and honey. For more information, visit firesider.com. Hey, 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 I'm Jimmy Carboni from Beer Sessions Radio. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Your love is chloroform perfume. Just one whiff and you start to smell. Now tell me how I'm supposed to feel it. Welcome to Love Bites on Heritage Radio Network, where dining and dating collide in New York City. I'm one of your hosts, food writer Jacqueline Raposo. You can catch me on everything as wordsfoodart.com. And I am 34, straight and single. And I am Ben Rosenblatt, your other host. I'm an actor, writer, musician, and occasional bartender and server. You can check me out at benrosenblattactor.com. I am 33, straight and totally single as well. Down the line, we're going to be joined by Kat Kinsman, the editor and sorry, the editor at large of Tasting Table and the author of the upcoming book High Anxiety: Life with a Bad Case of the Nerves. We're going to be asking her about how anxiety plays into her work as a food writer, and also how we can sort of utilize it to our best in dating. And both Ben and I have. Some issues with anxiety. Just a little bit. I, I don't. So we're really excited to have her on. But first, we're going to get a therapy session. We here. are going to get a therapy right. session. We basically booked ourselves a free therapy session here. Uh, but first, Ben, ask me how I feel about online dating right now. How do you feel about <laughs> online dating right I now? Hate online Jacqueline. dating right now, Benjamin. Um, <laughs> I'm come. so bored with dating online. Like I feel like I'm. I'm tired of the time I spend on the phone and it feels like another job and I'm not a fan of it. So this is our one month, I was going to say anniversary, but I feel like there should be a cuter title for radio or segment for, I don't know. Anyway, this is our one month mark of doing this show live. Woo. Woo-hoo, yay for us. Cheers. Clink. Um, and we were going to talk on our first episode about the differences between online dating for men and women. Until Jacqueline dumped I did not. I still say I do not. And I don't even want to talk about that because I'm still not quite over. Yeah, so let's not even go there. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's but that's part of one of the things I hate about online dating now is I met somebody online who I really liked. So there's hope for you. And as you've quoted to me, everything ends and it ended before our first show. And now I'm back. You're the one who keeps bringing that up. All right. Like that was just like one topic we discussed early on, and now you keep like shoving it in my face because you because you put that in my ear. (laughs) Well, that everything ends. I'm I'm a glass half full person who now has everything ends like in the back of her head like you are so i think if i think let's share what I dropped we dropped a bomb of reality in your face <laughs> you did. i love it, it blew up um so i think if we share what we each dislike the most about online dating right now we might get a little bit about the differences between online dating for men and women so you first what do you hate the most about online dating at this moment <sighs> monday october 12th i pretty much hate it all i'm sick of it i uh, um, I miss meeting people for dating purposes in person and like, you know, the anxiety, which we'll be able to get to later of like meeting someone in person and asking for their number and going through that Do whole thing. Do you ask of, girls out in person? Yeah. Because I feel like guys don't like I will. I'll I mean, think I do I'm it. having a great conversation with a guy and we exchange information 
And he doesn't ask me out. And I'm like, wait, did I do something wrong? Like, what happened? What do you mean by like, exchange information? Like, he gets your number? Or? We exchange our cards because a lot of times that I meet people, it's through See, work. Then situations. you're mixing it in with this, like, business. Like, when I you're know, doing the card but, thing, you're like, oh, is this business or is this a date? Like, I don't do the card thing. I know, but when like, do you meet people? I feel like in my 20s, I was out more socially it was much in easier. general. I know. I met a wider gamut of people through friends, but now a lot of friends are married with babies moving out of the city. I know. And, <laughs> A lot such of, idiots. They're such idiots. All these people are babies. Um, but also, like, I'm not jealous. My work, my work is social as well too. Which sometimes I hate about my work that like I have to go out a lot for work, and those lines are blurry. And we know that I don't date chefs. And but the, but like now and then you get locked into a conversation with somebody where you're like, oh, this feels this feels flirtatious. See, I I actually wish I had the card thing like i don't have a card or whatever and i don't like meet i don't tend you should to get, get a card well actually we made love bites radio cards to drop which i have for you today i forgot to give you that's a good reminder that now you have a card true that's a very like ooh, i have a radio show and i talk about sex on the and, and dating right, that's and gonna love. be a very attractive like it is it is <laughs> i right. would be excited by that if some dude dropped that in my palm ooh. um so all right so that's what you hate the most now well, well well i hate what i hate the most about online dating is the fact that for guys, which is, the I think, the exact opposite of what it's like for women, is that for guys, I have to, first I have to sift through all these profiles, right? And find someone that I find interesting and attractive enough to want to message. Right. Then, after that, I have to craft a message that is both charming personal to what they wrote in their profile and um interesting enough hopefully funny enough or you know whatever enough to garner a response now after finally finding someone who is worth the amount of time that it takes to write that message which is time in itself and then writing the message which is even more time if i don't get a response like now I've like wasted yeah. an hour or two and it's demoralizing it and it's like feel so sad. it's awful it sucks you know but, it's, but it's I'm just wondering, as, it's just ugh. as bad as being at you know out somewhere and being like hey can I have your number please and and getting no or getting you a cannot. wrong number well see all right so or, on the flip side my thing as a girl is that I don't get messages from guys like you most of the time I will like a person will mutually like each other I'll be like oh this person thinks the way similarly in the world or they have you know, we have a lot of shared interests or just their way of writing because obviously being a writer for me like if they if there's personality through their writing and their profile that means of something course. those dudes don't message me they might like me they might be looking at my profile a bunch of times I don't get those dudes I get the dudes that I have nothing in common with or the guys that send really creepy things do you get pictures of penises a lot I have never gotten a picture of what penis. you're doing something wrong if I you're guess. not getting dick pics Sent to your OkCupid profile. I don't know. Can you change pictures on OkCupid? I, you can maybe upload maybe one up, some and then maybe send if a you're link. Upgraded I don't know. I've, I've never. I don't click on links because I've got class. I'm I just am kidding. proud I just, to say that I've never sent a picture of my penis to a woman on the internet. Then we're made for each other. Oh my god. Why it's, do we not? I don't know. Oh no, I know. Oh no, I know. Sorry. Ew. No, you no, know. No, no, no. Ladies out there, Ben is incredibly handsome. He's a wonderful <laughs> human being. Nice who I've been like nice very save. close friends with for over fifteen years now, but. Um, yeah, it's not you. It's not men like you messaging. So we're both, we're both at the whim of a very similar. I guess that's a small pool of people. See, I, I would, yeah, I would say like we have the exact opposite problem. I, you know, 
have to find the diamond in the rough and like send right. uh, the perfect message. You are bombarded with like terrible messages. Bombarded isn't the right word. It's not like I get a trillion messages a day, but I do get. I do get. I'd say out of out of ten messages that I get, maybe one. I'm like, oh, this person is somebody who it would make sense for them to reach out to me, and they've done it with. It doesn't have to be a long message, but it's something. That's not a comment on it's one of my photos. Yeah. Way. Or it's uh, about some small thing on my profile. I'm like, oh, this person gets that small, quirky thing. Like, that engages me. So, wait, is that what you hate the most about online dating right now? Or is there. Yeah, no, that- one thing I hate. No, that's the thing I, get, I hate the most is that I get messages from people that I honestly do not want to take the time to connect with at all. I feel like even just. Do you have an example out- of a message? Like Ugh, recently, I, that you so, could. Um, off the top of my head. Give I'd the gentlemen like, out there that they know, like, not to write that message. Anything that comments just on a photo, anything that sounds generic that it, like, t- I can tell you've copied and pasted this, anything that's a, hey, girl, what's up? Or Wait, how's your day work? going? <laughs> that's, that's your thoughtful <laughs> message you've been putting there. Yeah, anything that's like, how's your day going? Or, you know, what are you up to this weekend? Like, anything like that. Like, I'm not, I'm not on that site. Like, I'm text messaging, you know? Like, I don't stay on the site and sit there and message. So, and, and also, like, I don't know you. And then I have to look at your profile. And if we have nothing in common... Why am I going to take the time to even have this really sort of boring back and forth? Yeah, online dating is tiring and boring. And then and then even if you do get the date, right, then you go out on the you finally like you're like, oh, yes. All right. I got a great message. Or I sent someone a message. They like me. Great. Like this might be really cool. Then like still like 85 percent of the time you go out and like right. it's a boring date. So I think what we're concluding from this is that men don't send generic stories stupid bore I don't I I feel bad saying stupid boring because it is it does suck for guys that they're generally the ones sending messages first but like put a tiny bit of effort into it and approach women who you have something in common with you don't just like the way they look yeah, but- and then on the flip side women like if a guy like actually from you Ben I've learned that if a guy sends me a really smart message that I'm just like oh we just don't I don't see anything that we have in common that makes me want to jump to meet you I will at least write back and say that. And sometimes I get a thank you for being honest. Sometimes I don't. And I know that it doesn't help, yeah. right? I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't help. But I feel like it, it helps more than just not respond. Maybe no. I would say instead of like the takeaway being men do this, women do this for online dating. Like, how about we all just put down our fucking phones oh God, for yeah. a second and like go out in the real world and meet some people that way and not be afraid anymore? Because getting re- as much as it sucks, getting rejected online is it's so much less personal right so let's just have you know grow some balls and vagina or and ovaries some, and sorry ovaries, I ovaries and get out there and let's meet some people in real life yeah and, and get past uh, that scary point of like when you're meeting somebody and talking to them like is this flirting is it not flirting assume everything is flirting maybe uh, right yeah I'm, I'm i like that idea yeah assume everything is flirting in real life and ask the people out and and flirt more and yeah put down the phone i like it okay we're gonna take a break And we will be back very soon with Cat Cans Man. Can't wait. Today's program was brought to you by Fire Cider. Did your grandmother ever tell you to drink raw apple cider vinegar? It's good advice and more common than you may think. For generations of New Englanders, a tot of vinegar was a morning ritual. Taken daily, a tablespoon of unfiltered apple cider vinegar can help support immune function and digestive functions. To the base of certified organic apple cider vinegar, Firesider added whole raw certified organic oranges, lemons, onions, ginger, horseradish, habanero pepper, garlic, and turmeric. 
They let this mixture steep for six weeks at room temperature to preserve the living vinegar culture and delicate flavors of the ingredients. Lastly, they blend a generous helping of raw wildflower honey into the mix. The result is potent but balanced, offering layers of sweet, tart, and spice. Fire cider tastes great on its own or as an addition to tea, juice, or salad. Fire cider ships direct from their online store and is available at over 500 locations nationwide. Use their store locator to find one near you and ask for a free sample. For more information, visit firesider.com. And we're back. Uh, today's musical break was provided by The Landing, the smooth, smooth grooves dulcet that we were just, tones. the dulcet tones we were just sort of jamming to in the studio here. Uh, so welcome to the studio, Kat Kinsman. Hi, Kat. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, Kat is the editor-at-large of Tasting Table, a very beautiful food website uh, that I've written for, actually, intermittently over the past year or so. Um, and she is the author of the upcoming book, High Anxiety, out in April of 2016. Is that right? It is indeed. I am so excited for this book to come out because uh, I first saw Kat speak on a panel at the Women's Chefs and Refs Drunk Tours Conference about anxiety and she opened it with saying something along the lines of like women in this room if you are here you've chosen a very scary thing to do as a living and I applaud you for that I'm grossly paraphrasing but it was that was her welcome and then all of a sudden you started talking about how anxiety has manifested for you throughout your career so to start off like what is what is anxiety to you right now on a day-to-day basis especially considering that you are now the senior up, you know, up there editor at this big uh, website, this big food website, like how does that sort of play into your life on a day-to-day basis? Well, you know, it's a funny thing. It, it wasn't even identified for me until a few years ago that as anxiety, I had always been treated for depression. It was always sort of a, a, you know, a joke among my friends, how nervous I was. And then just one day I actually happened to be in therapy and uh, he looked at me, he's like, wait, we haven't actually discussed this before. And he said, you have a, a panic disorder right. and anxiety as well. But to me, it's the only way that I had ever known this is just how I process the world sort of in startle mode that, you know, always worrying about what was going to happen, you know, and manifest physically for me in in all different ways. It used to be more of stomach aches. Uh, I pick at my thumb. It's, It's sort of a constant state of being very, very tense. And over the years, I've realized, like, okay, the level of it is probably not going to go down in any significant way uh, in, in in the near future. So the best thing I can do is be mindful of it and just uh, manage it as best I can. And I've found that talking about it, it has been the most amazing thing because this way I don't have to sort of go and hide in the corner. I can tell people, well, hey, look, I'm having a really giant panic attack right now. You might not be able to uh, see that happening on my face, but this is what's happening. And the more I do that, the more people are saying, oh my God, me too. And they feel freer to talk about it. So acceptance was like just a recognition and a definition and accepting like, oh, this is the way my, my body reacts to, to things. Like it's, that was, it was how, was that a big turning point for it? Absolutely for huge. Yeah. So I, I had gone on a, uh, uh, several years ago, actually after a really very, very bad breakup um, that was incredibly difficult to process on a physical and emotional level, I was having a hard time getting out of bed every day and just waking up like, you know, in screaming fits. Uh, my body was just rebelling in this incredibly terrible way. And, like just some very bad things had been done to me. And uh, my and I just couldn't take it anymore. And my physician uh, put me on a combination antidepressant and anti-anxiety drug. And for the first time in my life, I knew what it was 
like to not feel gripping panic all the time. And that was a revelation to me because the way I had lived my entire life was reactive before, make my stomach stop hurting. And to be able to operate in that particular fashion, you know, not having to just make it stop and appease somebody else. I could stop and I could make rational decisions about what I was doing and really just learn how to um, interact with people in a, in a much, much healthier way. You know, unfortunately, that, that same um, drug ended up being a nightmare to get off of, so mm-hmm. I wouldn't recommend it to anyone who I cared about or didn't care about or anything. Um, but just having that several years where that my body wasn't leading my soul in that particular way was incredibly freeing, and I learned learned a lot of things about how to manage it. So do you take medication for anxiety now? I don't. Uh, though, actually, uh, recently I started taking an herbal supplement that my physician uh, recommended to me, and that has been a godsend. Uh, it's, Would you share what that is for people? Yeah, they... L-theanine. It's derived from... T- yeah, it's a... It's good stuff. She had referred to it as uh, nature Xanax. And unfortunately, I got an email from her today saying she's moving away and she's not going to be my doctor anymore. But, um, you know, I absolutely believe in medication for people who benefit from it, whose particular um, psychological and physical makeups. uh, It's really a godsend to a lot of people. It's just not my particular thing. Can you speak at all um, in addition to the medication you took in the past and the herbal supplement you're taking taking now? The steps you actually took to help manage the anxiety, if there are ways you speak to yourself now or just other tactics. Yeah, I do want to emphasize the fact that I am not cured in any way. And that's the thing when you write a book like this, people think like, oh, you must have gotten over it. You beat it. How'd you beat it? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, I I haven't. I have looked it in the face and, um, you know, I sort of have a whole metaphor about how it's, you know, it used to have the wheel all the time and now I can shove it into the passenger seat a lot. It's, I can't shove it away entirely, uh, for the, for the most part, but you know, I've got control of the situation and I've been able to step outside a little bit and, and really calmly talk about the, the fact that, you know, I'm having a giant panic attack or something and say to my husband, you know, hey, I'm actually melting down uh, right now. So maybe if we could, you know, just do something else or, you know, turn this light on, open that, you know, whatever it is, I know my triggers and I know uh, how I react to them so well at this particular point that I'm able to have a very rational discussion about it, um, except in extreme circumstances where, uh, you know, I can step back and say, this is the thing my body's doing. This is not a thing that my soul isn't broken. I am not broken. I'm not a defective person. My body's just stupid some days. How do you recommend people figure out what those triggers are? Because I think, like you were saying before, that just recognizing having a name and accepting it gives you more ownership of what's happening to you rather than being owned by the physical sensations of things. How do you recommend people sort of figure out, like, all right, this is what happens. And so I can have some, even if I can't overcome it, I can control the extremity of it or I can, you know, maybe stop it before it would stop itself. I mean, taking uh, taking notes isn't a bad thing. There are actually all these anxiety apps where you can... I, I haven't really used many of them. I've just dabbled in it. But you can uh, sort of keep track of when you're most anxious, what you're doing, if you've eaten, if you've slept, all of those. I mean, for, for me, the best thing I did was write a book about it where I had to sit down and physically made a list of all of the things that you know, might tr- sort of trigger situations, whether it's it's crowds or um, the phone or, you know, silly things. Actually, I re- I'm realizing the more granular the thing is that uh, sort of causes this for me, the more people seem to be relating to it. Like, say, picking my shoes up from the shoe repair place or dry cleaning or something like that. 
people, normal human beings can do this without a, a second thought. Um, but I get into the spiral where I think, oh my gosh, it's been there for a while. What if they don't have it? What if I owe extra money? What if somehow I screwed up my life by not picking this thing up and I and let it spiral? I started talking about to, that to a friend and she was like, I thought I was the only one in the world mm-hmm. who did that. So, I mean, for me, it really, you know, I've, you know, I have had, you know, wonderful therapists. I've ha- my husband is amazing and I can uh, talk through this with him without, without judgment. We've had, we, we talk about this all the time because he's a wonderful person whose impulse is to fix this part of me and make me feel better. And I've, and we've had to learn the language of, of saying like, you can't, you can't fix this. You can just have to tell me you're not going to go away. And so I would recommend to people like really just listen, you know, listen to your body, see when it gets upset, um, sit down and, and keep a little journal of it, whether it's in your phone. I know we all hate the phone as was discussed earlier, um, carry a little pad in your pocket or something. And, you know, if you feel that rising up, have some sort of little calming behavior. I count sometimes in my head. I count. I breathe. I put my feet down. on. You do floor. not meditate, as I read on Facebook <laughs> today, which I think is great for people to be like, it's not not everything is a fixer for everybody. And so you put this article on, on your Facebook page for high anxiety today about how meditation doesn't work for everybody. And don't give yourself guilt for that. Like don't there are other the ways you don't do give you more anxiety. Right. About, yeah. You know? yeah. Cause everybody, you know, it's, it's an amazing, the second you say that you have it, well, have you tried this? Have you tried this? Have you tried this? Well, Cause like, people try to fix, they try to diagnose and fix in general, no matter what the issue is for people, which is, and it's a kind impulse. I mean, it is a kind impulse. Yeah. And some of it is, you know, sort of there for the, but the grace of God go, I kind of think it's like right. a preventative thing. But yeah, for me, um, my, my dad is an incredible human being. He's really great. And my, and my mother is wonderful too. She, she has always suffered from really severe anxiety and he saw this manifesting in me when I was really young I would sort of you know pick at scabs or my socks and and tremble it was sort of this joke about how much my hands shook all the time and I was going into the national spelling bee in like a million years ago and he saw me just getting knotted up with with worry and he decided to teach me transcendental meditation and it you know and it maybe worked a little bit in the moment and but it's it's just something where there's a whole section in the book about how I tr- I've tried yoga and things and when I empty out my body and you know, empty out my head whatever it is I'm so conscious of my body's rhythms that it makes me more nervous and I f- and I'm yelling at myself because I can't calm down enough and it's just in the same way that not all medication is for everybody not all practices are the same we're each special special flowers and there's things that the brain just you can't control I, I believe like I have the, I have the same thing with meditation because I have a physical illness that calming down and paying attention to my body sometimes makes me aware of how much pain my body is in and sometimes you just need to block that stuff out it doesn't it doesn't fix it fixes a lot of things it does not fix everything and it doesn't fix things for everybody as well that's absolutely true i mean my worst panic attacks actually happen um when i'm asleep and right, they, yeah. they wake me up and then <laughs> yeah, yeah like, really really come on like oh, brain brain leave me be for eight hours exactly yeah uh, it's it's uh, you know deeply frustrating and then you know you're tired get and it, you're more stressed out when you're tired of course of course i want to change the subject here Do really it. quickly because um i want to bring it back to dating for a second you mentioned in an email to us um just yesterday i think when we were uh, confirming with you that you were going to be here, that you witnessed something happen, like on a date, 
or you witnessed two people on a date the other night and you witnessed something happen. Can you tell us what that was and how it made you feel? Yeah, this this kind of broke my heart. Um, I was in a neighborhood restaurant with my husband and the tables are really, really close to each other and you can't help but hear, overhear other people's conversations. Also, I love watching people on dates. <laughs> I know. It's it's you know so interesting and I'm rooting for them almost every unless somebody's Aww, horrible. Yeah, like, right. I'm rooting for them. And, uh, you know, it was sort of quiet. People had cleared out and they were near us. And I... I talk when I talk about mental illness. I talk about people coming out. Um, I refer to when I, you know, I wrote, had written a couple of very public essays uh, for for CNN about depression and anxiety, and talk about like as coming out as mentally ill. And it was a couple you could tell it wasn't their first date. They maybe they knew each other enough. It had been a few, and he was telling her that he was bipolar. That his he had been working with his therapist, and I could tell that this was weighing on him and he he was he was saying you know working with my therapist this is the language she uses here's what i'm doing to treat it and i saw her shutting down and Mm. and then them sort of withdrawing and not talking to each other and i heard him say you know we can even take the physical stuff out of you know the romantic relationship uh right now if we can just you know talk as human beings and and she was she was having a really hard time and i was i was feeling for both of them i've been on both sides of that. And I was talking with a friend recently whose whose partner is going through some of these things and they're not married. And I was saying, you really, you really, really do have to decide if this is something you can deal with. Um, the person who has, you know, the anxiety, the bipolar, the depression or whatever has to be, in, they have to be able to manage it. They have to, they have to take responsibility for managing their condition. And then the other person can decide if they want to be part of that or, or not. And on, on very early in my relationship with my husband, I told him, you know, look, I'm on, I was still on the medication that I was on. And I said, here's what's going on with me. Here are all of the ugliest parts of me. And maybe partners in the past couldn't deal with this before. And if you can't, um, I, I do not hold it against you, but you know, we, we really can't go on. I wanted to be as honest as with him as possible, possibly scare him off even if I could. Cause if he, if he couldn't hang with that, then he wouldn't be able to understand and I would be apologizing for myself for the rest of the night, for the rest of my life. And he said, bring it on. And he's been absolutely incredible. But if I had tried to not disclose that up front, I don't know how well that would have gone. Can you explain how, what it was that you saw in this girl or woman that was shutting down? Like how you, like what, what behavior did you recognize in her that that allowed you to realize that she wasn't able to handle it. It was um, it was her posture. I mean, she was physically withdrawing. She wasn't looking at him. She was looking down at the table. Her shoulders were were slumping, and he was leaning toward her, sort of pleading um, with her. And you know, and I couldn't totally overhear. You know, I heard some some of the words, but she just she was sinking into herself. And you know, and who knows? And I don't. I didn't blame her at all because you know don't know what kind of triggers that had for her if she had dealt with this in the. In the past, um, not everybody is for it, but I also really, really want to. I almost, you know, I was clearly not going to inter- interfere, and this, and again, I wasn't eavesdropping too hard. I, you know, I was just, uh, you know, I could hear this stuff, and I was thinking, my God, you know, for this guy, he deserves love as much as anybody else, and I really almost wanted to tell him, like, look, maybe, maybe she isn't the one. Don't put all your eggs in this. Totally. There's somebody out there who who gets it. I mean, I absolutely think you're spot on there because. If she can't handle it, then she's not the one, and she can't understand it. She can't love him the way he true, deserves I, to be loved. But I think and we also we also don't teach people how to deal compassionately with illness, and and I'm using air quotes here, mental illness. Like we don't. 
you know, like like you said before, your husband is a fixer. I have I find with my condition that a lot of men just want to fix things when I just want them to listen and support. And I think that's something that, like, we as people, we want to fix things for other people rather than just listen and be and ask questions. And I and I think there is the potential in a lot of people who, yeah, it might not be something they understand now, but that they could become people who could support other people. Because honestly, in life, illness is going to happen at some point, whether it happens to you in your twenties or your thir- like illness and and loss and tragedy are going to happen. And because maybe you are not, you've not experienced enough to know now, it doesn't mean that you can't learn how to be more helpful because it's not also having an illness is not the entirety of a human being. It's a part of who they are. Agreed. And I think part of that and part of, and I have no idea what happened in this situation, but I think also part of it is how you present it to the other person. Um, I struggle with an anxiety disorder myself. I have obsessive compulsive disorder, and uh, that's something I tend to share very early on in dating as well. Um, it's something I struggled with very intensely for a long time in the past, and knock on wood, I'm not really struggling with as much currently. Um, but I wrote a play about it, and I um, have an upcoming workshop of that play coming up, and it's one Yay. of the things that I'm excited to talk about and share with people I'm dating and then they of course they ask what the play is about and it's about this very deeply personal thing um, that I struggled with for a long time and still do in certain ways Um, but I think in presenting it as something that is you know in owning it in that way it's a little less scary than perhaps using the term you use as coming out I think can be a little scarier sometimes if you're presenting it as if you're saying hey this might make you run away as opposed to hey I have this thing it's cool like we're good well, owning it has been a word that's come up a lot in this conversation. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I used to work for a psychiatrist and I would joke and I did all of his billing. And there are particular codes if you're, if, I don't know if you're familiar with the DSM, but the, the DSM-5. And there are different uh, diagnosis codes and billing codes that you have to use. And I always thought it would be amazing to have t-shirts or jewelry that had uh, these codes on them. I mean, anxiety, generalized anxiety disorder is 300.02. And in the DSM? Is that, in the DSM. That is awesome. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah, and I actually had a <laughs> necklace made finally that says anxious. Um, and I, you know, it, it's it's something that, you know, I'm increasingly owning that, you know, I didn't always go around telling people, uh, you know, that this this was the case with me. In fact, when I wrote these articles, uh, a few of my closest friends, I, I wrote these pieces because I realized I was hurting some people in my life. Um, because it gets worse at it's sort of in the holidays and around when it gets cold and dark outside. And I was missing people's parties and not going to their birthday or their holiday party or something. And I was just feeling really incredibly terrible. And I realized I was wounding people who I love because when I'm in the thick of this, I can't even sort of email out to people sometimes. I mean, I can get through my basic, I can get through work, I can, you know, be with my husband and stuff, but anything extra just feels like way too much. And so I wrote this one particular piece to say, like, look, it's. I love you. I'm embarrassed by this. uh, But here's what's going on. I physically couldn't uh, get it together to leave the house and come to your party. And I love you. And I'm sorry, was was the gist of it. And my friends, the way they reacted was so generous and and lovely. And, you know, and saying, we're here for you. And we're really sorry, we didn't know this. Uh, One of my dearest friends is a therapist. She's like, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, she, I'm, I'm mortified. I didn't know this. And I said, "Hun, I've had, you know, 40 years of uh, having a game face. Of right. this. Hiding, hiding how you're feeling. Yeah, yeah. I'm really, really, really good at this. If, if you didn't, if I didn't tell you, you probably,
probably wouldn't know that any of this stuff was going on. Somebody last week said to me, like, wait, so you're writing this book and whatever. Are you anxious? And I'm like, yes, yes, I am. And I was like, in fact, you didn't know this, but the last time I saw you, I was in the middle of a panic attack that was lasting for 24 hours. I just have a really good game face. Yeah. And, And I do think that people in general are when you're when one is open and honest like most people are very willing to say hey yeah i understand and most people do tend toward compassion and i think when they don't then it's like you know what as you said like we're not right for each other if you can't handle this i sorry. do yeah i do want to still keep a shout out though to teaching people how to listen yeah. because i'm writing an article right now about my illness and part of it was when i was very underweight from being sick that people would still tell tell me that I looked beautiful, that I looked like, oh, you look amazing, but it's because I was really skinny. And it's it's a whole separate conversation about women and that and that. But part of what I was writing with that is that when you have an illness, you don't obviously want to show that you have an illness. Like women, we put makeup on and we, we all put clothes on and energy on to go out and present ourselves as a normal human being, whereas... Maybe as if normal. You have an illness, and I'm not a normal human well, being. Well, no, I know. I just like as soon as I said the word normal, I was like, ah, no, that's not. I mean, but see, I even I'm part of this. Where like you know, we think that being healthy equates healthy physically and mentally equates being normal. And I think that if we could just have more honest conversations about it, and if people who don't understand whatever illness they're being confronted with, whether it's professionally or personally, can feel comfortable to ask questions because I think a lot of people just don't and people in that situation, the people suffering from whatever illness it is would rather be asked questions and be able to talk honestly than see that glaze go over. Yeah. I mean, I feel really incredibly lucky that I'm in a position where I get to talk about this, that, you know, I got, you know, diagnosed with depression a very early, like age 14 or so. And, you know, and I also have a mentally ill mother who, you know, even though she didn't always know all that, we didn't necessarily know that at the time, it helped me develop a vocabulary for this. And also seeing my dad and how he reacted with her sort of get a framework for how two different people, you know, who are her, the two people who are in a relationship can pattern this and, you know, for better or for worse, you know, a lot of these different ways of reacting. But I also realized then that makes me have a responsibility to be because you know i because i i haven't been punished for it uh, too much in a, in certain ways i'm in a field where you know i write and i am established enough that hopefully you know i won't take a hit from from any of this and you know still have job prospects open to me a lot of people don't have that luxury and feel like they need to hide it you know i'm and i'm also lucky you know i'm in a, in a relationship so you know i'm I, I realize I have so much compassion for people who, who don't feel like they can speak up and I'd never blame anybody for that. So what I'm trying to do is normalize it. So I'm, you know, in my, in my previous job, I used to go on TV a lot. Um, I worked for CNN and I was a face that people were very used to seeing on talking about, about food on that, and, you know, on morning shows and things. And then to be able to step up and say, well, this is also going on with me. I think it, I think it helps if people who are in the public eye can talk about this. It means, the, means the world to me that yeah. Prince Harry, Harry talks about it. Yeah. I think that is huge. He's doing a lot of charity events around it. He's talked about his um, anxiety of entering a room and speaking. You know, I think it, it can only help the more public people talk. That's really that's really heartening to hear. Like I had the same thing with my illness is Lyme, and there's famous people coming out about struggles with Lyme disease, and and it only helps sort of our our greater goal. So we were gonna we were gonna end this our show today with challenging 
uh, Ben and I challenging ourselves with a, a dating thing, but I feel like uh, we've sort of set up ourselves for a challenge of just like practicing honesty and owning the, the, the issues that the three of us in this room, you know, have to, I mean, even issues sounds like a really cheap word right now, but the, the stuff, the stuff, yeah, the stuff, stuff. <laughs> like we talked about baggage last week. We've talked about illness. We've talked about, you know, uh, not want, not believing in relationships, you know, and, you know, lasting for, we've talked about a lot of serious things on this show already. I think like, I think we're leaving on a pretty empowered note right now of where we're all artists. We all have different mediums of expression. And I think we're concluding that, it, that expression is pretty good in this, you know, very helpful in, in destigmatizing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Kat. Yeah, it's really I, a like, pleasure. Yeah, our show you. always feels so short because we always have so many delightful things to talk about. Um, but that is our show for today. Thank you so much, Malachi Linden. He is our engineer in the booth. Hi, Malachi. Thanks for doing such a bang up job for us. Um, our theme song is Chloroform Perfume by Ben Rosenblatt's band No Denial. Thank you, Benjamin. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please tell your friends to subscribe to the show on iTunes and feel free to get in touch with us at heritageradionetwork.org. Thank you so much for coming today, Kat. We really appreciate you being here. Thanks so much for having me. It's a very special discussion. Um, next up, a clip of All in the Industry with Sherry Bayer, and we will be back next week. We are Love Bites Radio. Thanks for listening. Bye. We determined that people want to know why and how of, of food. Not so much just instruction recipes. They, they want to get something and learn something. On episode 61 of All in the Industry, Justin Warner joins host Sherry Bear to explain the secret principles behind his offbeat culinary creations. And so they said, you know, foie gras donut, for example. I mean, why on earth did you make that? It's well... I mean, it's a long story, but um, I, I knew it would go together. I mean, it's kind of like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And they're like, wait a minute. peanut butter? You're telling me that a foie gras donut is a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? I said, yeah. I mean, so is pizza. They're like, what? <laughs> like, yeah, of course. Like, it's about fruit and fat and having some canvas to spread it on. I mean, the foie gras is fat. Peanut butter is fat. Cheese is fat. Uh, tomatoes are fruit. Jellies are fruit. PB&J, you know, Fargo Donut, it, it's all there, pizza. So I determined that the law of peanut butter and jelly is something that is true and something that exists and it is real. And if you have uh, fruit, fat, canvas, you'll be fine. Yeah, so like another law is uh, the coffee, cream, and sugar law, which is kind of the idea if you have something bitter, uh, add something creamy, add something sweet. Uh, or you could just say fatty and sweet. So, I mean, if you think about coffee uh, or raw chocolate, you know, cacao is, is bitter as all get out. Um, it's one of the bitterest things that there is. Uh, but the second you add sugar and milk to it, it becomes milk chocolate. So that's kind of, you know, just a simple example. But, you know, if you look at, like, bitter greens, most of the time people add some sort of oily, fatty component and something that's subtly sweet to it. I mean, that's what makes great greens. To hear more from Justin Warner and special guest photographer Daniel Krieger, check out episode 61 of All in the Industry with Sherry Bayer. For more great shows on the hospitality industry, you can listen to all the episodes of All in the Industry available on heritageradionetwork.org.